Welcome to the podcast series from the Forum at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.forumhsph.org. Welcome. My name is Meredith Melnick, and I am the health director at the Huffington Post and today's moderator. Um, this hour-long program, Cancer and Diet, the latest on processed meats, fat, and more, is a collaboration of the Forum at the T Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Huffington Post in association with Harvard Health Publications. This event is also part of the Dr. Lawrence H. and Roberta Cohn Forums. As some of you may know, Dr. Cohn passed away unexpectedly a few days ago and we're deeply saddened by the sudden loss. Um, he was a renowned cardiac surgeon and a major member of this community um, and a major supporter of the forum. And we are so grateful to him and to his wife, Roberta, who made this event and the others in the Cohn series possible. Um, he touched many lives and, and I know that he'll be very missed. So um, I'd like to, to turn over and introduce today's panelists, uh, starting to my right. Uh, Walter Willett is the chair of the Department of Nutrition at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Um, Frank Hu is a professor of nutrition and epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Edward Giovannici is also a professor of nutrition and epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And Marjorie McCullough is the strategic director of nutritional epidemiology at the American Cancer Society. This program will include a brief Q&A and you can email questions to the forum at hsph.harvard.edu for those of you watching remotely. Um, you can also participate in a live chat discussion that's happening on the forum website right now. Um, and I think we'll get started. So Dr. Willett, um, can you help uh, provide some context here? Uh, what is the current thinking on the connection between diet and cancer risk and how has it changed over the decades? Sure, I think it's helpful to go back in time a little bit. The idea that diet may be a strong influence on cancer risk is actually fairly new. When I was in medical school back in the 1970s, uh, no one really wondered or asked about or said anything about how diet might relate to cancer. And it was during the 70s that several epidemiologists start, started to put together data on cancer rates from different countries around the world. And the picture that emerged was really striking. There were five, eight, tenfold differences in cancer rates among different countries. For example, uh, breast cancer rates in the United States were about uh, eight or ten times higher than in Japan and a number of, number of other countries at that time. Now, one option, one alternative explanation is that this might be due to genetic factors. But other epidemiologists were looking at people who moved from low-risk countries like Japan to the United States. And what they found was that the populations who moved adopted the cancer rates of people living here, which said clearly these, are, these huge differences are not due to genetic factors. There were some clues from these international studies that diet might be an explanatory factor. For example, uh, that national consumption of saturated fat was strongly related to breast cancer, colon cancer, and some other cancers. But these are pretty crude kinds of studies, and we really needed more information. Nevertheless, these, this very limited, weak kind of evidence got translated into conventional wisdom and national guidelines. And it became uh, the, the word, uh, the conclusions of our dietary guidelines that uh, total fat in the diet was the major thing that we should focus on reducing. That began in the 1980s. 
And so we went through a period until fairly recently where the recommendations uh, from all kinds of organizations was get all fat out of the diet as much as possible, which means we really need to load up on carbohydrate. But recognizing that these were weak studies, we put into place some large cohort studies that, where we enrolled several hundred thousand individuals across the United States and tracked their diet carefully over time. Uh, of course, the first thing we looked at was fat and cancer, and we just didn't find any relationship, uh, dietary fat and cancer. Uh, and we looked at that repeatedly in lots of detail, others did, and what's emerged is that there really is no important relationship between total fat intake and cancer risk. However, fat in the body is a big risk factor for cancer, and that wasn't really appreciated early on. But it's not a simple translation from we eat fat and it makes us fat, because we can also get fat eating carbohydrate. In fact, that's turned out to be even more important. Uh, we uh, also found that fruit and vegetable consumption had much less impact on cancer risk than we thought before. And one of the factors that did emerge as being related to cancer risk was consumption of red meat, especially red meat, uh, processed red meat, in relation to risk of colorectal cancer and some other cancers. Uh, so that's briefly where we are today, and I think uh, Dr. Uh, Giovannucci is going to be able to provide some more detail on what is the evidence from studies around the world on red meat and cancer. Yes, and, and so the, the red meat and processed meat cancer connection obviously was big news recently, I'm sure you all saw, um, with the World Health Organization making headlines and suggesting that there is this link and, and calling red meat a probable carcinogen. Um, so we actually have a, a short video that we're going to play um, that, that sort of uh, delves into that announcement. Now, yesterday, the World Health Organization's new report that bacon and other processed meats are cancer-causing nearly broke the Internet. Here are just a few examples of Twitter users sounding off. Some says, bacon causes cancer? Well, I'm going to try to eat it all so no one else has to suffer. Not all heroes wear capes. Or, my Uncle Billy had bacon and eggs for every morning of his 96 years. If he'd eaten tofu, he would have died at 65 from boredom. Just saying. And the National Pork Producers Council also chimed in, tweeting, world's oldest woman, 116, eats bacon daily. Now, the health organization now puts processed meats in the same category as smoking and asbestos. And other reports from this week suggest that cheese and sugar are as addictive as drugs. And did you know that 10% of vegetarian hot dogs contain meat? So basically, what is left out there that you can eat to stay healthy? We'll return to the use of anecdotal evidence on Twitter later. <laughs> um, so, uh, Dr. Hu, I'm wondering, um, you know, beyond the World Health Organization, the latest dietary guidelines, it's the other big nutrition news, um, you know, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, excuse me, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, um, you know, they were just published and you served on the advisory committee. And um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how those guidelines differ from some of the information coming from the World Health Organization and how they mirror each other. Well, um, let me start with uh, a few words about the process of developing dietary guidelines. It's a long process. Uh, so by law, uh, every five years, uh, the federal government uh, has to update uh, and then release the dietary guidelines for Americans. Uh, before they do that, uh, the USDA and the HHS convene um, an expert panel to review the latest evidence on diet and health and then develop a scientific report. So I was very privileged to serve on the 2015 Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee, or the DGAC. Uh, the committee spent almost two years uh, reviewing 
a huge amount of literature on nutrition and, and health, and then developed the, um, the 2015 uh, DJSA report, uh, which served as the scientific basis for the federal government to develop the dietary guidelines for Americans, which were released last week. So the new dietary guidelines, uh, I think, contain most of the recommendations made by the committee, uh, but they also contain uh, 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 some deficiencies or, or omissions. Uh, so let me uh, talk about some positive uh, features of the new dietary guidelines first. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, improvements uh, over previous dietary guidelines, this is the first time that the dietary guidelines actually uh, uh, set a limit on added sugar intake, which is 10%, uh, no more than 10% of calories coming from added sugar. Uh, this is very important because uh, consuming too much added sugar has been linked to diabetes, heart disease, and even some cancers. Um, another uh, improvement is that uh, um, the dietary guidelines actually uh, remove the upper limit on total fat. As Walter just mentioned, total fat is not that important uh, uh, in terms of uh, heart disease, uh, cancer risk, but the type of fats are much more important. So the new dietary guidelines put more emphasis on certain uh, type of fats and uh, recommend people to reduce saturated fat and, reduce, uh, and replace saturated fat with uh, healthy fats, uh, such as polyunsaturated fats, uh, rather than carbohydrates. And also the new dietary guidelines put more emphasis on uh, overall eating, uh, healthy eating patterns, uh, including uh, the Mediterranean uh, diet pattern, the healthy vegetarian patterns. And those patterns can be um, adapted uh, according to individuals' uh, food and cultural preferences. So I, I think those are all uh, important uh, improvements of this uh, addition of uh, new dietary guidelines. Uh, as I just mentioned, there are several uh, important omissions uh, in the new uh, guidelines. Uh, first of all, uh, environmental sustainability, uh, which is a major topic in our uh, DGSA report, uh, was declared uh, out of the scope of the dietary guidelines by the USDA uh, from the beginning uh, due to heavy pressure, political pressure, from the uh, meat industry, from, from the Congress. Uh, and uh, another important omission is that um, the new dietary guidelines do not uh, explicitly recommend people to cut back on red and processed meat, uh, it, it, although this is a very important uh, recommendation made by the committee. Uh, instead, the new dietary guidelines uh, uh, advise people to include uh, lean meat as one of the uh, healthy protein choices. Uh, so this recommendation is certainly not consistent with the WHO recommendation or the, or the DGSA report. Another issue has been raised uh, is that uh, uh, the soda uh, recommendation uh, is a bit diluted in the new dietary guidelines, even though this is the first time the dietary guidelines set a limit on added sugar intake. The main recommendations do not include uh, soda reduction. Uh, we know that soda is a major source of uh, added sugar. So those are, I think, important omissions uh, um, in the new dietary guidelines. Um, uh, having said that, I, I think uh, uh, there are many positive elements in the new dietary guidelines. And if those recommendations are implemented, it can uh, lead to important public health uh, benefits. Um, so just to continue talking about uh, some of the different ways that we're approaching these two topics together, um, Dr. Giovannucci, I'm wondering if you could, as a panel member of the World Cancer Research Fund, could tell us a little bit about um, you know, how, uh, how you've approached the, this, sure. this question of diet. Sure. Uh, 
Yes, the World Cancer Research Fund, or WCRF, is based in the UK, and it, it has a sister organization, the American Institute of Cancer Research, or AICR, in the United States. And the whole focus of the organization is diet and cancer. Um, now, um, so every year we have me uh, meetings and we've reviewed the evidence. Currently, I'm, I'm lugging around the 200-page document reviewing the evidence for esophageal cancer, only one type of cancer. Um, basically, as Dr. Willett mentioned, uh, prospective studies are important. And in the past 20 years, um, you know, based largely on the model of the Nurses' Health Study, there have been many prospective studies across the world, and they're producing tons of evidence from diverse populations. Um, now, obviously, there's so much detail to get into, but broadly, uh, the main recommendations after sifting through all of this evidence, uh, almost every study that's been published, we sift through. The, the, the basic uh, as, uh, findings, as Dr. Willett mentioned, is, is obesity. The, the most important dietary-related factor for cancer is uh, uh, being being lean uh, as being protective and being physically active, um, and that that's the no, you know number one uh, message. Now, in terms of that, how do you get there? Well, obviously, this we're not going to focus only on getting uh, preventing obesity is a big topic, which we're not going to get into. But there is an emphasis on more of a plant-based diet, um, uh, partly that it may help prevent obesity, but there may be some beneficial compounds in uh, plant foods, uh, even though that seems to be, you know, there's a lot of controversy. The, the evidence on fruits and vegetables is not as, as strong. And, and at the same time, oh, you know, it's important to know when we say plant-based diet that, that we should exclude uh, starchy, uh, processed starches and sugars, which are plant-based, but are probably not <laughs> healthy. So, um, and in terms of, of uh, the animal foods, um, the, um, the evidence seems to, be very consistent across many studies now, particularly for colorectal cancer, that red meat and particularly processed meat increased risk. Uh, just to give you a sense of the data, there have been about 30 prospective studies of colorectal cancer and colorectal adenomas, which are cancer precursors, in diverse populations. Um, and very consistent finding has been uh, in association with processed meat. Uh, if you pull all the data together, about 50 grams a day of processed meat, which is two ounces for, for Americans, uh, is associated with, with about a 20% increased risk of colorectal cancer. Um, and that's been a very consistent finding. Um, in terms of uh, mechanisms, uh, that, which is important to understand because there's some controversy over this, uh, I, I think there are a lot of plausible mechanisms um, a heme iron, which is a type of iron in red meat, actually, which uh, uh, makes the, you know, why is white meat different? Uh, there's about 10 times more uh, iron in um, red meat. That, that may be a factor. Uh, but that, that needs to be worked out. But the, the epidemiology is very consistent in showing uh, an association with red meat, particularly processed meat and colorectal cancer. Um, I think I'll stop at this point. Yeah. Um, Dr. McCullough, you, you were an observer in the meeting that produced the World Health Organization's report. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and then also, um, you know, how do you think the report was received? Was it received the way the writers intended? You know, what are some of the misunderstandings you've seen, if any? And just if you could tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, well, when the 
IARC announced its classification of processed meat as a um, group one carcinogen and red meat as a um, probable carcinogen in relation to colorectal cancer, I think a lot of people were um, confused and a little bit alarmed because some of the headlines read that that processed meat, um, that, that bacon was equal to tobacco in terms of cancer risk. And um, to be clear, the, the IARC um, considers an exposure to be a, um, a group one carcinogen if there's sufficient evidence to say that it causes cancer. Um, tobacco is an established cause of at least a dozen cancers. Uh, so if you smoke, the most important thing to do uh, to reduce your cancer risk is to quit smoking. Um, as far as processed meat is concerned, um, uh, you know, if, and I wanted to mention also, if you do, do not smoke, which 80% um, of Americans, uh, that applies to 80% of Americans, the next best thing you could do is modify your lifestyle, and that's your diet um, and other lifestyle factors. So for processed meat, Dr. Giovannucci mentioned the risk with each additional serving of processed meat. And the risk estimates are similar for red meat, um, uh, which was uh, considered a probable carcinogen. Now, relative to smoking, those are you know modest. But if you eat a lot of red and processed meats, the risk can really go up. And a lot of people do eat a lot of red, uh, red and processed meats in this country. Um, also, colorectal cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer in U.S. men and women and the third most common cause of cancer death in this country. So if we can identify anything that's a modifiable risk factor, uh, that could be very important for prevention of cancer. And um, I also wanted to mention the, um, the American Cancer Society publishes guidelines on nutrition uh, and physical activity for cancer prevention every five years. Um, and <clears throat> in those guidelines, the most there's four key general recommendations, and that's maintaining a healthy body weight throughout life, being physically active and eating a healthy diet pattern, um, rich in plant foods and low in red and processed meat, which, by the way, has been in our guidelines since 2002, so we've known about that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, if you drink alcohol, do so in moderation. I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the uh, that you've sort of taken us in the direction of talking about risk reduction and prevention. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to be sort of focusing on for the second half of this presentation. This has been a production of the Forum at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of this event and post your comments at www.forumhsph.org. Thank you for sharing the Forum.